0: Today's date is January 12, 2011. The title of tonight's message, teaching, life, action is Worship and Worshippers. John 4. Jesus comes across what kind of woman? Samaritan. Samaritan. To a Jew. Is this a friend, foe? Foe. Pretty much at this time. Basically not somebody you would really want to fellowship with, right? right. Now, culturally, who had the upper hand? The Jew. The Jew Jew did. Because the Samaritans were seen as a lesser or half-breed of Jew. Due to some form of the spora that happened before that. Now, the Samaritans set up their own version of basically Jerusalem and decided they were going to worship God there. But where God's place that he had deemed, which resided way back in uh, First and Second Chronicles, uh, in Kings, was in Judah, the region of Judah, which resided in, or I'm sorry, Jerusalem resided within Judah. So either way around, he runs across a woman who her culture and his culture are at odds and both have a long history and the centerpiece of their odds is where they worship. Who is right in the way that they worship? That was exactly the Jews. (laughs) That was God's prescribed way. But the contention was, well, we worship this way and this prescribed way, even though God's Word says differently. And the Jews said, no, we obey God's Word. We worship here and in this way. But Jesus hit the center of the heart of that argument. Let's skip to verse 19 there 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 now Jesus just reads her mail meaning that was able to look into her life and prophetically see some things that she had not revealed to him how many husbands that she had and that she was husbandless at the time so she she responded seeing that he is connected or in sync with God and said sir the woman sir the woman said I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. This would be the ultimate of going to, let's say, a Tea Party rally and wear an Obama t-shirt, mm-hmm. or the other way around. It the most the most contentious subject between your two cultures are two facets of society. And she just brought it up. After she saw that he moves by the Spirit of God, seeing that he's a Jew, she brings up the greatest point of contention. And it had to do with their method and place of worship. Now Jesus could have rambled on and gave tons of history, but like always, he cuts to the quick and he gets to the heart of what the subject was, what the debate was all about. Read, uh, continue in verse... 21. Jesus declared, "Believe me, woman." That's always a good start. How <laughs> Jim call. She was one over at those words. You had me at Believe me? Woman. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem." Huh. If he was a die-hard Jew. What would you expect his answer to be? We're right, Jerusalem. He went straight to the original pattern. It was neither in Jerusalem nor in Samaria. Both of them were trying to simulate what was occurring in the heavens. That what existed in Jerusalem, what existed that defined Jews as Jews, set apart by God as the praise of God, was a replica only of the real item that existed in the true presence of God in heaven. And how did he respond further? You Samaritans worship what you do not know. Wow, that sounds like you know political correctness to me. Mm-hmm. You Samaritans would bring up a lot of issues, and you know, if you said that on TV these days. Mm-hmm. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. So let's fast forward to January 12, 2011, right here at 1255 Eldridge Road. When we analyze, are we worshiping in spirit and in truth? Now, you, I'm, I'm going to solicit answers. None of them are wrong. But I'm going to drive down to a central point of view. So don't feel bad if I come back with something else besides what you said. <coughs> but when you think of worship and spirit of Truth, spirit and truth, just shout out what comes to mind. Moving of God. the gifts. The Word of God. The Word of God. Exactly how? When, you, when something jumps out at you out of the Word of God. Okay. You prayerfully prayerfully. Yeah, when you use the word. Okay. Prayerfully prayer prayerfully considering. Prayerfully considered. And this is what you're seeing as the element or display of worshiping the spirit and the truth. Yes. Okay. One more? Anybody else? Worshiping to the context of the law that's given to you. And prophesying of the gifts and wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. Awesome. Very, very good answers. In fact, you guys you guys got it for the most part. More than what I expected. I'm impressed. Thank you. I'm done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right?
0: Yes, I'm right. Yes, I'm right. Let's <laughs> celebrate first. <laughs> <an hour. laughs> Hallelujah! Come on. Round the bottle like block on me. Let's go. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> if anybody doesn't know, bottle like block is the nice little meat and rice plate. Anyway. Next door? What I was looking for was. What's some elements of worshiping the Spirit and Truth outside what you see the instruments on this stage? What's the function of worship? How is it displayed? Because if you can understand what worship is supposed to be, you can ultimately understand what you as the worshiper should be. So, first and foremost, the function of worship is to be submitted and in sync with God. Now, here I have seven Hebrew words for praise. One of them that defines it all is B-A-R-A-K. Barak. No pun intended. Barak means to kneel down to bless God as an act of adoration. Just like what we did here. Did you all begin to sense God's presence when we began to pray? As a corporate group? Yeah. Yes. It's that same Feeling that same connectedness that same being submitted and in sync with God as we do whenever we worship with music. It's a little bit different, now, maybe not exactly the same, but honestly, every worship service with music is never the same. If anybody's ever put together a list, worship song list for me, they exactly know. Many can say amen and I do not stay on that list. Because what I'm feeling whenever I'm prayerfully considering what to to sing for each service, the minute I get up here, I take my list and I submit it to God. That's my first and foremost act of worship. It's not, God, here's my list of the way that I think you're going to move tonight, and I cannot deviate from it because it's what I think is right. Every action, that's just one aspect every action of your life has got to be a display of worship in the fundamental or foundational element of being submitted and in sync with God. Now, a very rhetorical question would be, raise your hand if you've ever been in a situation where you did not know what to do. Well, I think that encompasses every person in this room. From the infants all the way up. There. That is the... There. that is the exact place where God desires and delights for us to be. Because at first to get into a place where you're actually able to produce something good out of that situation, or mind state, or mental state, or emotion, or position in life, whatever it is. It could be a flat tire in the middle of a desert. The first thing you start out with is, Lord, I'm submitted, and I want to be a sacred with you. What do you require? ultimately, we've talked about this several times in the past, it's putting the fruit back on the tree. It's the knowledge of good and evil, or more so the pursuit of it, that gets you in trouble every single time. And worship is putting it back on the tree and asking God, you tell me what's right, you tell me what's wrong. Now I understand, in order for this room, for this structure, (coughs) your homes, your cars, there has to be organization. But when we come to spiritual elements... It's God's organization, not man's, God's. He prescribed, had a prescribed way for Israel. It's really their constitution. It is fully written out in the Torah, what is summarized in the book of Deuteronomy. It's how they're supposed to exist and function as a nation. But within that constitution, men over the period of hundreds, and if not thousands of years, began to add what they thought was right and wrong, interpreting God's original intent. Those were the elements that Jesus challenged every single time. And when he's standing here, the whole debate between Samaritans and Jews was who was really obeying God's words to its fullest. In some regard, Israel, the northern kingdom, saw Judah as lesser than. That they were mightier, that they didn't need Jerusalem, they were corrupt and idol worshippers. So we're going to set up our temple here within a few years they put their own idols alongside God as well. They were the first to go into captivity The later one was Judah going into Babylon. Ultimately, the whole nation was disseminated because they didn't start out with the very first fundamental and that was, Lord, here is your word. How do I be submitted to it and in sync with it? The heart of the word from Genesis to Revelation but more so the Torah is designed around preserving life. Every time Jesus challenged a religious leader, he was challenging their understanding of the word and its proper application and pointing them back to the original intent of preserving life and ultimately being submitted and in sync with God. Now, coming back to some instruments here. I will always say that the requirement for someone to be on the worship team, is number one, they have a relationship with Jesus. Absolutely, it's a must. Because it requires them to be in sync with God's Spirit. You give me a mustard seed of talent. You can play three chords on the guitar, may have never had a formal lesson in a harmonica. And God can take that mustard seed and raise up a mighty worshiper. And just like that mustard seed grows into a mighty tree that provides shade for all, God does the exact same thing. But guys, it does not exist just within the realm of this. No different than you watch Eric preach. You listen to him preach and say, wow, that's powerful, that's anointed. I could never do that. Liar. Absolute liar. The reason that he is able to do what he does is because he is submitted and in sync with God. He's only doing what he is designed to do. That microphone is not going to take the place of that brain drum or guitar. It can. not Its function is different, but its fundamental, foundational uh, existence is exactly the same. This has to obey JJ's voice. That has to obey Brandon's leading. That has to obey as well. All of these elements have got to be submitted to me. Wouldn't it be this microphone jumped off the stand and said, I'm not gonna interpret what you're saying anymore. I'm gonna go in the back, give me a coffee and donut and listen to the message. I would take that microphone, and I would throw it across the field. You're useless to me. Now, with people, I have a little more compassion. But what I'm saying is that in order to be used by God, because ultimately, isn't that what every person wants? Isn't that the fulfillment that you're looking for? I want God to use me. To be, I want me to be the function of what He's designed me to be. But the whole struggle is, how do I do it? Well, let's take the I out of it. You don't do it. You submit it to God. He breathes through you, like Mike does with the shofar. I would be very concerned that the shofar jumped up and did it by itself. Let's say it's possessed. But what makes that that shofar come alive is when the breath of God moves through it. It has to. So let me redefine what being on the worship team is in here at LCMF, because I made a promise during the, the the bonfire I would teach you guys what to worship was. And I think there's a lot of things that go unspoken in what we do and undefined. Everyone knows how it flows, but no one knows how it goes. I didn't mean for that to run. There we go. So first and foremost is being submitted and singing. How many times have I said that so far? A bunch. Maybe it's good. Yeah, it's very good. <laughs> Secondly, or, uh, 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 let me go back to the original statement. Being on the worship team is just as much of a part of you guys out here as us up here. We are the tip of the spear that is able to break through whatever <coughs> obstacle there is. To lead the direction, there has to be a, 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 I guess a focal point of saying, hey guys, I feel God's presence leading here. No different than we're about to look and see that the way that God structured and orders the constitution of the nation of Israel, He did the exact same thing. He appointed leaders over leaders, over leaders, over tribes. Even within the Levitical element and then uh, priesthood. Amen. So, let's all turn to... Uh, 2 Chronicles 5. Now as you all turn in here, just as the worship team has to be in sync with the Lord, and I do as well, and us in sync with each other, when one of you guys comes in And a smaller crowd is usually much more sensitive than a larger one. But either you can turn the the tide one way into a spiritual just funk. Or you can turn it the other way to where it is powerful and anointed. I want you guys to see yourself as worship changers. Amen. That when you walk into not just a church service, everywhere you go, you propel other people into His presence. Everywhere you go. So that means your ability to worship here ought to be exponentially easier than it is in your workplace. But what you practice in here, you perform out there. Exactly what that sign says. This is practice. This is where you get it wrong. This is where you get it right. If you never try here, you will never do it out there. Because out there, you don't have the surrounding of everyone's voices, everyone's camaraderie, their encouragement. Well, if Brandon can do it, then I can do it. Or however it may go. You're there standing alone. You're in a crucible. And pressure is upon you to do what God called you to do. But if you have not practiced here, and it's game time, trust me, you will not. You know you we have perform. So everybody Numbers 5? I mean, I'm sorry, at uh, 6 five Prodicules 5? There. All right. JJ, can you read? Was it verse 11, 11 well, above that, though, coming into it? Mm. Starting the uh, beginning of the paragraph, and then go into it. Okay. okay. Uh, the priests then withdrew from the holy place. All the priests who were there had consecrated themselves regardless of their divisions. All the Levites who were musicians, Asaph. Heman, J- Jedithan, and their sons and relatives stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and singers joined in unison, as with one voice, to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices and praise to the Lord and sang, He is good, His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord, filled the temple of God. If there is a biblical model of what worship as a corporate body should look like, this is it. First you have Levitical priesthood leading the way. Now somebody tell me, why was the the Levitical tribe chosen to be priests? I Remember last week's message? Replacement for the firstborn. Give her a star. <laughs> Replacement for the firstborn. And what was the act that they displayed that proved that they would be faithful in that place? They drew their swords at Mount Sinai and struck down their brothers. They drew their swords at Mount Sinai and struck down their brothers whenever Moses was communing with God, getting the very constitution of what Israel was going to be, and the people went bazalk. They worshipped the golden calf. This is one of the worst uh, pieces of history in in, in Israel's history. Their failings. At the pinnacle, God had delivered them mightily. and then you at least would have thought they would remember the Red Sea opening up. At least. Did you ever think in your workplace or your family members that if only they could see the dead race, if only they could see a miracle, then they would believe? I say nay, nay. Mm -hmm. No way. There are times when that can add to the truth of what God has spoken to them. But their hearts have got to be right. Their hearts have got to be prepared, ready to see and submit to what God is already speaking. Because these people seeing a nation of 1.2 million people walk through dry land, escape their enemy, their enemy swallowed up in the sea, dance and sing a praise, go to Mount Horeb, their leader leaves them for about 40 days, they get answered. They they start worrying. (laughs) The next thing you know they, they lead to, or they're led to, is worshiping the very thing they just got delivered from. They did not hide God's Word in their heart. Psalms 119.11 I hide your Word in my heart so that I will not sin, sin against you. Let's rewind all the way to the beginning of the creation. Adam and Eve failed the exact same way. God said, you are free to eat of any tree except this one. But now, when isolated and alone, Satan through a serpent, whispered something a little bit different, And because they did not hide it in their heart, they were able to discern the lies that were given to them. Why? Why is it that we must know the Word so much? Why is it that Eric challenges you so much and at times makes you feel about two inches tall because of your ignorance in the Word? It's a blessing. It's a blessing. It's funny, but it's a blessing. No, it is. Because he understands that if you do not know God's Word, then you can be tricked. You will I guarantee you, if you haven't been there already, you will be pressed in a situation where the only thing you can remember is Jesus' name. <clears throat> yeah. 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 Understanding warfare from a sideline view or a virtual aspect is is absolutely the 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 wrongest way to look at it. If I analyze what it would be like to be in World War II through watching a history channel uh, documentary on it. I have no idea what it's like until I'm truly there, entrenched in Bastogne. Left alone for 14 days and 20 bullets at, at, on the last day. Basically, hmm. seven, 70 millimeter guns shelling me left and right. Until you are there, you don't know. The reason you practice is so that, so that later you don't have to think about it. Yes, right. hmm. The reason we have worship practice. It's not because we need to just go over the songs that we're going to do. You guys know, we don't do those songs. <laughs> <laughs> what I am aiming for is that we all are getting in sync. We're, we're throwing away the junk that's trying to wash on us during the, each day or each week. Whatever's trying to distract me and take me out of God's presence. That we all collectively as a worship team are able to move just like Second Chronicles 5 says all sing with one voice. You could replace that word voice with spirit and truth. We are trying to become worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. That's my goal. And that, if you see it in this matter, we are very much so like the Levitical priesthood that we've been given charge and responsibility and authority by God to prepare the place where you guys come and have fellowship with the living God. That's exactly what the Levitical priesthood did. Mm -hmm. And even at that, the Levitical priesthood was a copy of what already exists in heaven. That's where Melchizedek came came from. from Mm -hmm. That you realize that we are replicas of heavenly things. So whenever you begin to act like a true worshiper, not just in here, but outside of there, that when you're in the workplace and people are doing certain things that make you feel uncomfortable or saying things about you that aren't, aren't all that holy, I'm nice. And you have the opportunity to respond carnally or respond kindly, basically filtering it through the Word. When you choose to do what's right, you're acting in your true form of being replicated from heaven. Mm-hmm. You're being a true worshiper. You're being truly submitted and insane. Mm-hmm. let's go to songs 68 okay
1: 68 verse five
0: Steve, read it for us. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds by his name, Yahweh, and be glad in his presence. 68, 6825. 68, oh, 25. Oh, wow. Okay, except that. I'm sorry. 6825. They see in your processions, God, the processions of my God, my king, and holiness, the singers are in front. The musicians last, and in the middles are the girls playing tambourines. Where are the musicians?
1: Uh, Last.
0: Last. The singers are in front, the musicians last. (laughs) 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 Paying a picture is I want to burn into your minds. In order to be a worshiper, you do not need to play an instrument, Mm -hmm. you don't need to be a musician. I heard the statement all the time, man. I really want to learn how to play the guitar, so that I can worship on my own. (coughs) I I really challenge that statement. I challenge it in the format that you don't need a guitar to worship on your own. You can turn on a CD. You can turn on an MP3 player. It's so archaic now. And you can kneel on the ground, lift your hands up in the sky, and trust me, God will meet you there even without music. That's exactly why I wanted us to hold hands and pray at the beginning of the service because I wanted to show you you can feel and interact with God the exact same way you do in the middle of musical praise and worship without instruments. You know why, guys? Because you are the instrument. And whenever you choose to be played by God, it's a great, beautiful, and wonderful thing. But when you choose to be played by the world and do what it desires, you're playing somebody else's music, mm-hmm. and it ain't God's. So what are you saying, Matt? I should never listen to a secular song? I mean, come on. What about all the Lionel richie songs, the love songs? <laughs> say you, say me, yeah. Ebony and I. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: What's the spirit of the song? Where does it lead you? Where does it bring you? What is it? How does it invoke your spirit? How is it connected to truth? Because if it's anything outside of what you experience here, I say, Be careful. If not, do not taste and do not touch. Mm-hmm. I know the difference. When I turn on the, the, my radio, and I find that the music is controlling me, more than I'm controlling the music, I need to cut it off. Because it's now gone beyond just my logical understanding, but it's going right into my spirit. It's leading me into worship, but not the worship of our God. Mm -hmm. It's idol worship. It's an idol worship of, it's country music, it's, you know, fast boats and drinking. (laughs) And the list goes on and on for all the different genres. But what are you worshiping? A lot of people listen to music because they want to relive an old memory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This song revives. It connects with this old memory. That old memory may be great. The way a Doobie Brothers song connects with me and something that I remember riding the back seat of my, my mom's, mom's uh, was it Green El Camino or something like that? You can't really ride in the riding the back. You riding the El
1: Camino.
0: But it, it, for me, it connects with a certain time period in my life where things were awesome as a young kid. For somebody else in the exact same time period, they may be phased down in vomit from Odegan. And that song was played in the background. Where does this song lead you into worship? And the worship of what? Guys, what you put into you, and what you put into you in your spirits through, through music, is very important. I do not learn songs on the guitar for a primary reason. In order to learn a song, you have to connect with it. You have to. You have to feel what it's trying to say. And unless I have the ability to disconnect and let it be just a little lick that I can learn and add to my worship experience, I don't touch it. Dave Matthews is a a great example. Musically, I love Dave Matthews. But I find myself to begin being pulled a little bit too full into their music. And I have to cut it off. Cass bought me about eight years ago a little lyrical, or not lyrical, but a lick book. Basically, it's all the little riffs that Dave Matthew does. And I was, I'm thoroughly impressed with his abilities. And it inspires me to want to learn more. But that was just enough for me to learn the little accent and riffs that I took and used to write worship songs. Mm -hmm. That was the whole point of learning it. Not to be spiritually led by Dave Matthews Mm Band. Because trust me, you turn off the lights, have a good or bad day, Mm -hmm. put music in your ears and listen to it for three hours, it's going to affect you. Mm -hmm. It's like like saying, You know, a dozen donuts uh, every single hour will not affect you. (laughs) It absolutely will. (laughs) 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 Worship is exactly the same way. You have to ask yourself what are you worshiping? uh, And why are you worshiping? Because whether you like it or not, every single one of you are worshipers and you're designed to worship. You're designed to be submitted. You're designed to be in sync. And not the band. But it's simply God. Matthew, almost all music is either identified by its place of origin or what it creates in the people. Remember in our generation they called it head hanging? Yes, it was. In fact, there was this one uh, high school dance (laughs) that uh, (laughs) several of us participated in. (laughs) And there's this wonderful song sung by Nirvana. Uh, called Team Spirit. And it rather amped up the young folks. We, uh, we began to frolic amongst each other in a, a very uh, slam dance kind of style. And we just slammed into the mirrors at the dance hall. And broke them. Not a shining moment of our, our testimony. But I can say I got born again two nights later. Yes! <laughs> But that—that's a wonderful example. You kick on some certain music, and look—you go up to a crowd. You go to festivals. Oh and it creates a mood that enables them to spiritually move one way or the other. A DJ—I'm sorry—that's an electronic worship leader.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: he stands at the middle, and how he chooses it, when he chooses it, the timing and the feel is everything. The world does not or doesn't really want to quantify him as a worship leader. Because that would make it too spiritual. But it absolutely is. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Secondly, so we have basically submitted and in sync. Here's the second element that will keep you being a worshiper. is that you have to set your face like that. You have to have the ability to turn direction of yourself, and therefore others. How is it that whenever we get up here, that every member of this worship team, whether a good day or a bad day, is still able to worship? Yeah. You guys don't know the stuff that's told to me five seconds before I walk up here, where you would want to go crawl in a hole in that back room and cry and weep and wail and pray. But for others' benefit, exactly like the Levites, Through the act of serving other people, I set it aside. I say, no, that problem, that issue, that fight, that emotion, that feeling does not outweigh the need that other people have to be in God's presence. If you consistently put yourself first, you will end up with nothing but yourself. That's the truth. So when I get up here, I have to throw a switch. I have to say, God is more important than everything, and I set my face like Flint. Amen. Now, some of you guys on the worship team that you know, met with me last week about this—what was the alternate way of saying "set your face like Flint"? Strengthen your face. I like that. And how would that look, guys? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not so much purse lips, but somewhat close. <laughs> strengthen your face. And I'm sorry that it just kind of brings up a scripture that says something like, I don't know, the joy of mm-hmm. the Lord is my strength. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. Guys, my problems are best solved in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. If I'm not able to do it here off during services, it means I do it in my car. You can ask my wife some of the worst moments that we've ever had. I know I have to get in God's presence right then and there. We join hands. she forces me to pray, or I force her to pray, that's why we are a team together. And she helps me when I fall, I help her when she falls. So understand, first and foremost, you are a worshiper. And it's your responsibility, yours, for how God's presence moves around you. Are you enabling it or disabling it? Because when you set your face like flint, every obstacle that seems so big is now very small. You know when we, when we go through six or seven songs and we work and we work and we fight and we trudge and we're running a, a hundred-yard dash through mud and finally it breaks. Sometimes we know what it is and sometimes we don't. But it breaks. And you feel whatever that end goal of trying to get in, presence, in God's presence was all about, we're finally there. And I just want to be there. I want to soak in. Sometimes, the minute uh, you guys walk through the door and enter in here, it's wonderful. It's like electricity in the air. And I feel like the minute that my, my pick hits the guitar strings, I just set something on fire that had a jet fuel on it. You guys were primed and ready to go. And that I only respond to God. Let me set that condition. I respond to God, but it requires you guys to join me. Amen. 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 Eric can get up here and preach the most fired up, anointed message on earth. There are no hungry hearts willing to receive it. Even Jesus couldn't do much miracles there because of their faith uh, their unbelief. So when you come in with hungry hearts, you have to outnumber the ones that don't. You think I don't see whenever a visitor comes in? Mm-hmm. And though everyone doesn't turn and look at them and say, I wonder what they're thinking about me, you're thinking it. Oh no, I better not prophesy in tongues this morning. I'm gonna run them out the building. Or wonder what how it would affect them. Oh. Mm-hmm. Set. <laughs> Fashion the <a> whip. <laughs> <laughs> you have to set your pace like Flint and say, "I will not ever be deterred." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the way that this is built, as if it were a structure. So let's take this building. The foundation is submitted and then seen a foundation competes with itself or competes with its builder, it will become cracked and uneven. It has to be it has to be unified, it has to be one. What is put on top of being submitted and in sync is intimacy with Jesus. The very things that hold up and give shape and form and substance and something to attach elements to is intimacy with Jesus. It's not attendance. It's not the ability to quote scriptures. The devil does that very good. Mm-hmm. Very well. Sorry, English majors. Not mm-hmm. it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's our ability to be intimate with the living God. <clears throat> and then once we have built that foundation and put in that infrastructure, what it is fueled and sustained by is that resolute, resolute heart, resolute spirit says, I will not give up. I don't care what it takes. I don't care what it does to me. I will never ever give up until I am there in His presence. Now this is something I know very well from a worship aspect here. Where it's most important is in the foundations of my home. I can tell you guys, and I'll wrap myself up, the hardest place for me to propel others into His presence is in my own home because that's the most familiar place for me. Mm -hmm. If I become selfish, I see it as my refuge, not as my ministry. Mm -hmm. And if I'm able to walk into Mm -hmm. my house and not bite everyone's head off because shoes and socks are all over the place, Mm -hmm. but walk in and see it as my goal to propel them into His presence, I am doing my job as a worshiper. Amen. And more so a worship leader. That my goal is to have, raise up godly offspring. But godly offspring, beginning with my children. And I I know the same way that I disciple them, I will also disciple you guys. I'll also disciple for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Bless his heart, Brandon has took the brunt Of most of my corrections during worship. I'm so proud of him. He got up here, not knowing how to play the drum, having to fill the shoes of Nick Slaughter, Mm -hmm. who defined playing the drum on a djembe as an eight-piece drum set. Mm -hmm. Then uh, Gabe, who did an excellent job. And really, you know, Brandon had a very good talent of playing the drums... But it's kind of like in this region. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew there was that mustard seed at home. pumpkin seed. Hell OK. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it had this mustard seed of talent and ability. What was being refined in him was character. And now the place that we stand is that in all areas of his life he has a balanced walk. You have enough character to sustain the talent. That's the way that it works. Talent does not define the level of character. If someone has the character to sustain a talent, that means that that it will be in sync and submitted to God. You don't have to worry about it. So whenever we get to that place in worship, and we were doing it right before you guys came in, it's a worship practice, not music practice. It's the wrong way to look at it. The only musical portion that I focus on is what is a distraction and what is not. Trust me, if I got up here not knowing how to play the guitar and try to leave worship, you would be very distracted. But you don't have to have mastered an instrument in order to be a worshipper. You don't. In fact, I'm more in the, the favor of less complication enables my mind to not have to think about it so that my spirit can be in sync with God. They get, They compete. The first time I ever led worship uh, was with, uh, I think, at King's Harvest, and it was kind of like my debut. I was ready. I've been waiting for this. Some somebody prophesied to me when I was first born again, and I've been waiting five years or seven years, whatever it was, for this. I get up there, and I just was not ready for the dichotomous battle between my natural mind and my my spiritual leading. i I'd sat in the background for years and basically flowed the, underneath someone else's uh, coattails. Where they went, I just went. I would get a sense in the Spirit where we were going to go, and i just kind of go with them. And I had to, to, to straddle that logical, natural thinking versus the spiritual. But it wasn't near the pressure. It wasn't near the responsibility. So when I got to that place, immediately I was put in a stance or put in the position of, God, I don't know how to do and this is as I'm about to make the first call. And it was right then and there that I set my face like flame. point. I said, I don't care how it comes out. I'm doing this unto you. I'm doing it unto you for their benefit. I will not let my fear of failure prohibit me from doing what God called me to do for their benefit. I won't. I will step out and fail every single time if I'm doing it as a Levite. Amen. No greater love has a man than this than to lay down his life. What else is there to stand Where are the, the clarifications and addendums? They don't exist. If you're not willing to lay down your life for your brother for the sake of per- propelling them into God's presence, that's a clarification. There's people within the military that will lay down their life left and right for each other. And it's a very noble cause. We can define it with that. It's the preservation of life. But what we're designed to do as human beings is to do that always, to that level, in all areas, for the sake of someone else's relationship with God. Wonderful. A wonderful devotion that was sent by Kelsey the other day. Awesome. My obedience to God will cost others. There are times in worship when that thought of what the stranger, what the, the visitor is going to do, is the only thing I can see, think, and feel. And what if I play this song? What if I do this? Then will you like me? Mm-hmm. That cannot be. That cannot be my fuel. That's not the foundation. That's submitted to men, not to God. That's intimacy of man's uh, favor rather than intimacy with God. There's a statement I told the worship team the other day. It was... Um, my ability to follow God cannot be codependent upon man's approval. So, what that looks like is this. Is that the foundation that you stand on, every decision that you make, are you making it out of fear? Are you making it out of trusting what the Lord has spoke to you? Now, let's clarify that a little bit further, even in here. As Levites, all of us, but the ones given the responsibility of pastoring There are times when the Lord will show us stuff about your life that you cannot see. And it's our responsibility to step up, poke, prod, investigate, do the very thing the Torah said to do. Challenge you, encourage you. But our goal and our intent is to propel you further into God's presence. To make you eventually into Shalom. Amen. Which is right standing between God. That's the only reason why. Just like a father, a natural father like me, will make a mistake in disciplining his sons and daughters, he and Eric are going to make mistakes. We're not perfect. Neither are you. But the whole goal and intent of me as a father over my four girls and me as a Levitical priest on your behalf, serving you, is that my ultimate goal is shalom. Right standing with God and men. That's the whole intent. Nine times out of ten. In fact, I would say nine and nine tenths out of ten. If you're able to step back from what you feel the offense is against Eric, or whatever leadership this may be, this may be even your workplace. I can almost guarantee it. And look at what's the heart of this person. What are they trying to achieve? If they're reacting this way, is it based out of some kind of fear that that's a weakness of theirs, that they're trying to work through and it just came out on me? Is there over-aggression because they see something that I don't, I need to pause and look in the mirror for? Or is there aggression to put me out in, in a place where I'm not ready for that they see more in me than I see in myself? You've got to look at the heart. And sometimes that requires taking your fingers... Love them in what you naturally hear. Put in your face in the Word and say, God, I don't know. I don't know what's right and wrong. I need you to tell me. Yeah. Put the fruit back on the tree. Put the fruit back on the tree. Mm-hmm. Getting back to Brandon. <laughs> Great sermon <certain> example today. <laughs> <laughs> Is that his greatest struggle? was thinking too much. Very gifted on the drum. But he can, testi- he can testify that the less he began to put his intellect into the process, the greater freedom he found to be in sync with God. Mm-hmm. And if it meant playing a more simplistic rhythm or doing something a little dumbed down, that's perfectly... Because when we worship here as a corporate body, we expect God's presence to move and manifest all of the gifts of the Spirit. But also, I expect, whenever you guys walk out of this building, and you're at home, you're at your workplace, at school, wherever it is, also the gifts of the Spirit are at work as well. Amen. Amen. That's right. Amen. These are existing in our presence here for the common good, for each other. But the very passage we started out with, in John 4, Jesus operated in one of the gifts of the Spirit before a Samaritan woman's benefit—a woman with five husbands and deemed unclean by the Jews, worshiping the wrong way—and he put her in her place. But He operated in the gifts of the Spirit one on one. As a Levitical priest. Amen. To establish shalom back in a woman's life. Even though she was unclean. Even though she was not welcome. Into the Judaic realm. He enabled her by showing her the right way to stand. With Amen. First Chronicles 9. You know, I can honestly say that Jesus birthed in me a passion to express my relationship with Him through the guitar and singing. It began whenever I was born again about six months, and I looked underneath my dad's bed, and my stepmom had an old... Yamaha classical guitar. She was kind of a hippie. And so it had gone unkept for about 15 years, and she wasn't doing anything with it, so I asked to borrow it. But guys, this is something unique. I looked at it, and I didn't have to conjure up the desire or fire or ability. I looked at that guitar, and a blaze ignited inside of me. I just knew I had to have that to express what was inside of me to Jesus. That was that was my avenue to connect with my king, and I knew two to three chords. I was only playing about three months. Eric gets born again. The very first night after he's born again, we have communion with yeah. orange juice and French bread. French bread. <laughs> we didn't know very holy. <laughs> 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 Unleavened bread, French bread I
1: think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the higher.
1: <laughs>
0: but what we did is that that bond that you guys see now that we have was established by worship. I broke out my guitar. I began to worship. And it was screechy, and our voices were off pitch. We had the wrong kind of communion cups. I mean, communion stuff, not cups, but in fact it was a silo. Anyway, We began to worship, and we felt God's presence. And when we began to feel His presence, we felt a connection between each other, exactly what we just read in 2 Chronicles 5. Now, here in 1 Chronicles 9, some of the understanding is, is this. Is that the Ark of the Covenant is bring, being brought to Zion. And it's David's responsibility. And he's leading the way with worship. So, chapter 9. Um, <coughs> hmm. Let's go to 28. Do a full spectrum. Some of them were in charge of the articles used in the temple service, them meaning Levitical. They counted them when they were brought in and when they were taken out. Others were assigned to take care of the furnishings and all the other articles of the sanctuary, as well as the flour and wine and the oil, incense and spices. But some of the priests took care of mixing the spices. A Levite named Matt, (laughs) the firstborn son of Shalom, the Korite, the Korhite was entrusted with the responsibility for baking the offering bread. Modern day, that's my mom every Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Some of their Koh- Kohathite brothers were in charge of preparing for every Sabbath the bread set on the table. Show,
1: show